So today's Bible passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the whole chapter. Uh, I'm going to be reading with the ESV, so please uh, follow along as I read today's scripture. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. As Daniel read for us, as Elder Daniel read for us today, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, this is a passage that very often we gloss over because of over-familiarity. This is a passage that has been preached at most weddings that we've attended, you know, this is a passage that is referred to whenever there's like conflict resolution issues, whenever there's premarital counseling, whenever you're having a hard time getting along with your roommate. Uh, all these times, this is the first passage that gets brought, brought up. Hey, look, you need to be loving. You need to be kind. You need to be patient, not envy, not boast, long-suffering. And this is the passage that often you know, is brought up as personal application, how to love one another. But I want us to do something a little bit different with this very overly familiar passage today. As we've been studying more and more this topic of the end times and this topic of eternity as a community, we're beginning to see that so much of the Bible has like inbuilt into it this understanding of the end times and eternity. And this passage is no different. This is not just a passage that is a very simple application and exhortation into our walks. That is obviously one of the most straightforward applications of this passage. But I want you to maybe entertain me, you know, entertain this thought today. What if this passage is a passage that has great prophetic weight to the body of Christ in the end times. Because as we've been studying for the last few months in our house churches, we've been reading through Matthew 24 and 25, right? The Olivet Discourse. And it 
talks to us about what it means to long for Jesus. It has been so invigorating and sobering for us to do this together. And as we're studying this, we get three things for sure. Number one, this is 100% going to happen, whether it be in our generation or the next generation or the following generation, just like God did not skimp out on any of the prophecies and the promises that he made for Jesus's first coming. He will also be sure to fulfill every promise that he has spoken for his second coming. And so these things 100% guaranteed will happen, whether it is in our generation or in a future one. That's number one. Number two, the church is exhorted to know the season and to be prepared. This is not one of those things where we want to gamble on. We can't afford to be caught off guard regarding this one matter. We can't afford to be caught unprepared. This is of utmost importance. This is of ultimate importance. So imagine you get so many things wrong in life. You fail at everything in life. Maybe this is one of those things that you want to get right. This is the one thing that we get right. Let this be it. And finally, by far... The greatest deciding factor of whether we as a community, we as a church with a capital C, will make it through. The greatest deciding factor and the greatest provision for both you and I will not be pegged on riches. It will not be pegged on gifting. It will not be pegged on knowledge. It won't be connections. It won't be strategies. It won't be backup plans. It will be purely love for Jesus. These other things are important and they are necessary, but they are not first and foremost. First and foremost, the one deciding factor, the greatest deciding factor of how we're going to fare this, how we're going to weather this storm, how we're going to make it through these very challenging times is whether we love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because according to Matthew 24, if one of the manifestations of falling away from the faith, according to Matthew 24, if it is, quote unquote, the love of many will grow cold, then it means that a passionate and enduring love for Jesus is paramount in importance. If according to Matthew 25, the one difference between a foolish virgin and a wise virgin, whether you're invited into the wedding banquet or whether you're left outside the doors, it is one element, the oil of intimacy that we talked about in our house churches this past season. This is the one thing that we need to drop everything else for and pursue because everything hangs on this one element. And so in connection to that, I personally believe that 1 Corinthians 13 is a key passage of the Bible that has massive end times implications. It has incredible prophetic importance. It is indispensable at a personal level, and it is indispensable at a corporate level. 1 Corinthians 13 is more than just a few verses that are nice and warm and fuzzy and they get printed on every Christian inspirational mug or a t-shirt. It's not just a passage that gets preached on at weddings or it's not a go-to passage when you're having a hard time loving on your family. It is all those things, but I believe we stop short of seeing it against the backdrop 
of its most extreme moment of testing. Your love for Jesus, my love for Jesus, will go through its most extreme moment of testing and most indispensable moment of application when we think about the end times. So today, my hope is to ruin this passage for you in the best way possible, right? My hope is that you'll begin to see this passage, not just as a comforting pep talk, like Apostle Paul pulls up next to you and says, like, there, there, can you just be nice to your friend? There, there, can you reconcile with your spouse? It's not just a comforting pep talk, but we begin to see 1 Corinthians 13 as a weapon of mass destruction against the enemy. We see it as a sure promise from God for those who will endure till the end and those who will hold fast. And it also is a passage that has present day applications and future day repercussions. So the message for today is titled love never fails. Love never fails for some of us by nature or by nurture. We are worriers. And I put myself in that category. I'm a natural worrier. I know I'm like that, you know, whether it is by choice or by experience or partly because honestly, it's my job as well. You know, I have to anticipate and think through different hypothetical scenarios in order to be ready to respond. It's not sufficient just for me to try to wing it and be like, well, if this happens, then maybe we'll try this. I need to have a plan A. I need to have a plan B and a plan C. This isn't for all of life, thankfully. But when it comes to very important things for me, things that I deem important, things that I say that I can't afford to miss, I can't afford to get this wrong, I am very naturally a worrier. Worry, not warrior with an A, but warrior with an O. Very different. Um, and so we as humans, and particularly myself, we love to curb the fear of the unknown. We love to curb the fear of uncertainty with a foolproof plan. We say, if all else fails, we'll do this. So for example, if all else fails, unplug it and plug it back again. If all else fails, call mom. If all else fails, order tacos. Nobody hates tacos. You know, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the situation is. I like to have this, this like foolproof plan. And we all have that in some way or another with different things. We see here in this passage that Apostle Paul is not exaggerating when he says, you know, love never fails. He's saying love actually never fails. If you need a foolproof plan, if you need that plan A, B, C, and D, love is the answer. Now, just a very, um, you know, a very uh, kind of silly example is about a year ago, uh, when towards the beginning of the pandemic, we here in this very same office, we hosted uh, our first online AIM service for Good Friday. I don't think you guys remember. It's like over a year ago. It feels like a million years ago, right? And so everybody was just starting to go online. And, you know, the AIM pastors, they approached us and they said, hey, you guys seem to have this video broadcasting thing down. So how about we use you guys's set up you guys's office and we'll just use this stream and stream it to all of our churches. So we're not talking about just our very own church. This is going to be broadcasted to all of our English ministry. So we're looking at like two, 3000 people that might potentially be tuning into this. And so we said, well, okay, we'll make things happen. We'll put things together. And when the day comes, hopefully things will go very smoothly. 
I kid you not, like five minutes before we had to press start broadcasting, that magic little button, five minutes before we did that, the whole system crashes. And I am sweating bullets. Like I have assured all these different pastors, hey, we, we got it. You know, we have it pretty, you know, we've done this for a long time. And so I think this is pretty reliable. And then five minutes before we're supposed to go live, everything shuts down. And I am like freaking out. I'm like, oh, what do you do? Here is, this was our trump card. This was our, if all else fails, this, this thing will not fail us. We had David Ha then. <laughs> And so he is a magical Swiss army knife of a person when it comes to technology. And so this guy, cool as a cucumber, he goes through, you know, all, all of our systems, all of our cameras, like uh, checking our internet, making sure that it's not our YouTube, all these different things that needed to be checked. And in the end, he said, I don't know. It's not something that we can solve. We need to go to our backup plan. And then our backup plan, it was, you know, kind of like a little bit dinkier than we had expected, but still it served the purpose. And it was, we had to just stream through a phone. So we had this backup plan. But I remember in that moment, you know, thinking, whew, okay, we, okay, we're going to get through it. People are going to get the word of God. And that's all that matters. And this is also the same day where I was preaching. And so I was like sweating bullets right before service. And then like I had to hopefully have it all together by the time I came up to preach. I remember thinking in my mind, I am never going to trust technology ever again. I am never going to volunteer us, you know, to broadcast anything for AIM. Like, oh my gosh, this is too much pressure. There's too many things that can go wrong. And so for me, that really, you know, put a dent in my trust of technology. And I, you know, I still don't really trust him. I never really did to begin with. Um, but this definitely kind of cemented that distrust in technology, but this is just a very, you know, silly, you know, silly example of those things that we feel like we're banking everything on. And then in the last moment, it fails us. The apostle Paul in this passage is saying, Hey, don't bother banking on your prophetic gifting, on your religious piety, on all these things that you used to feel like, oh, I've accomplished something in life. He says, all these things will fail you. Technology will fail you. But at the end, at the bottom of it all, there's a surefire foolproof plan. And it's not David Ha, it is love, right? And that is what he's talking to us about. So the first three verses, if we were to break up this entire passage, the first three verses, they teach us that number one, love for Jesus, when tested the most, love for Jesus will trump all talent, all gifting, and all human accomplishment. It will trump it all. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter how well connected you are. It doesn't matter. All these things that we use to find security, all those things in the end, they actually won't matter. The thing that will matter is whether we have love. Let me give you this example. One of my favorite, favorite movies of all time, and this will kind of betray my age, it is Forrest Gump. Anybody here love Forrest Gump? Yeah, yeah. For, okay, okay, okay. So I'm not alone. Okay. Forrest Gump. This is one of those movies is my go-to kind of like, you know, comfort blanket kind of movie. And it's just so beautifully, you know, made. And it really doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't really age. It's still very relevant. But this is one of my most favorite movies. And in this story, we learn about this one guy called Forrest Gump who grows up to accidentally become 
the celebrity college football player. He accidentally becomes a war hero who saves the lives of those people in his platoon in the Vietnam War. He accidentally becomes a world-famous ping-pong player. Do you guys remember that part? He accidentally becomes an insanely rich shrimping company owner. He becomes accidentally a world-renowned celebrity cross-country long-distance runner, among other things. It's this character that accidentally becomes all these amazing things. And it's very comedic how he accomplishes these things almost like unintentionally. And anyone in this room, anybody on the stream, would be proud to accomplish even half of the things he did in our lifetime. And yet, underneath it all, Underneath all of these accomplishments, there's just one thing that Forrest Gump cares about. It's only one person, and her name is Jen, Jenny. Yeah, Jenny. So Jenny, this is the love of his life. This is, you know, his childhood, you know, love, and you know, becomes his adulthood love as well. He thinks about her as he fights these wars in Vietnam. He thinks about her as he travels the seas. He thinks about her as he runs from ocean to ocean all across the United States. He thinks about her in every silent moment. Everything for him boils down to Jenny. So if Forrest Gump had written 1 Corinthians 13, this is how it would read. If I become an all-star football celebrity and get honored by the president of the United States and have not Jenny, I am nothing, right? If I make millions and millions of dollars in the shrimping business, if I run from ocean to ocean and get invited to all the talk shows and get featured in magazine covers, but have not Jenny, I have nothing. If I save the lives of my fellow soldiers during wartime, as honorable as that is, if I get a Congressional Medal of Honor for that heroic act, but have not Jenny, I have accomplished nothing. All these things, they mean nothing to me. All these things, they just fade away. All these things don't really matter to me. At the end of the day, there's only one thing that I need, and that is Jenny. So as we read verses 1 through 3, we could probably come up with our very own translation of this. Maybe not sound like Forrest Gump, but there are certain things that we would think these are great accomplishments. But at the end of the day, if we do not have love, all those things that look so tempting, all those things that look so glamorous in the moment, all those things that look so enticing, like, wow, that is what I want to live for. That is what I'm going to give up sleep for. This is what I'm going to exercise for. This is what I'm going to give up my time for. This is what I'm going to make huge sacrifices and spend all my savings on. Whatever that is, our translation should still be whatever that is. If I have all these things, but at the end of the day, if I do not have love, I am nothing. I've accomplished nothing. All these years spent and poured into this, they amount up to nothing. Verses 1 through 3, they're just so brutal in casting out everything that is second place in order to make room for that one thing that is first place, and that is love. 
As I read verses 1 through 3, I hear these undertones of Matthew 7. You know, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And at the end of the day, this is what Jesus says to them. Depart from me, I never knew you. You did all these things, but underneath that, there was nothing. It amounted to nothing. There was no love. I never knew you. As I read verses 1 through 3, I also hear whispers of Matthew 25, of the foolish virgins. They did everything right. They were there, just like the wise virgins. They were waiting, just like the wise virgins. But then when the time came and the bridegroom arrived, they were not ready. They did not have this one thing that is everything in that moment. And that was love. So love for Jesus, when the rubber meets the road, when we are tested, when we're in the middle of the hardest trial that we've ever gone through, love for Jesus will trump all these other things. That is the one non-negotiable that we need to have in our hearts. Second thing, as we read this passage from verses four through seven, our love for Jesus will guard our hearts in the midst of adversity. Love for Jesus will guard our hearts in the midst of adversity. This passage, 1 Corinthians 1, I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13, this is not a fluffy, feel-good passage. This is a robust, weighty, sobering exhortation from the Apostle Paul, who he himself has suffered much in life. This is coming from the pen of somebody who has suffered beatings, betrayal, imprisonment, shipwreck, attempts on his life, persecution, every heartache possible as he planted and pastored churches. This is this apostle. And with all that experience under his belt, he is pulling you and I close and saying, look, you will be tested And you will be sifted. You will go through situations where you will be tempted to lose your patience. You will go through things that will make you be tempted to be unkind and vengeful and filled with envy and boast. You will go through hardships and situations where everything in you will want to give up. Where everything in you will want to throw in the towel. When you will want to walk away from it all. When you'll want to repay evil for evil. But when those moments come, when those testings come, you'll have to draw deep from this reservoir in your heart called love. To find the kindness, the patience, the long-suffering, the endurance, the forgiveness that you need through those trials. You'll need to cling on to love for dear life in those moments. When it becomes hard to believe in God, when it becomes hard to persevere without giving in to discouragement, when it becomes so difficult to find hope in the midst of adversity and trial, you'll have to cling on to love for dear life. You will be tested. You will go through things, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you will go through things in life that will test that love in your heart. I almost picture it like this, like this life raft, right? 
And then when the waves get choppy and the winds begin to blow, what you do in that life raft, it isn't. You don't just chill and hope that it kind of blows over. That's when you cling onto it for dear life. That's when you get low and when you wrap your hands around the ropes and when you kind of try to get as close as possible to this life raft. And as you're getting tossed and turned by the waves, as you're getting beaten by the winds, that is the moment that you have to hunker down, hold fast, and wait for the storm to be over. That is the picture of what it means to hold fast to love. When everything is tested, when everything is shaking, when everything that you took for guaranteed, that can no longer be guaranteed. In those moments, you hold fast to love. Love for Jesus will guard your heart. Love for Jesus will guard my heart in the midst of of adversity and what greater adversity for the body of Christ than the end times that is to come. It might not happen again, you know, in your lifetime or in mine, but what greater testing field, what greater testing moment for the love of Christ to shine through than the end times. My prayer is that when those testings come, when that storm comes, when those waves and that wind comes, that would be the moment where we've, we're already in that life raft, when we're already in that love and we're holding fast to it in order to make it through the storm. That is my prayer for our church and that is my prayer for the global church. Love for Jesus will be what gets you through that adversity. And finally... Verses 8 through 13. Verses 8 through 13. It reads, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I gave up childish ways. Now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Verses 8 through 13 have always stumped me. Because this is a pretty straightforward passage until we get to verse 8. Verses 1 through 7 are as straightforward as it gets. It sounds like good, practical counseling advice. It sounds like the kind of material that you would, you know, cover when you're trying to just create greater Christ-likeness in your heart. Where it's just be patient. Hey, look, Susie, be patient, be kind. Susie, don't envy. Susie, don't boast. Don't be proud. Don't keep a record of wrongs. It is pretty straightforward stuff. And then you get to verse 8. And then you have no idea what Paul is talking about all of a sudden. Right? For me, this has always stopped me. Verses 8 through 13. This is a moment that you realize the Apostle Paul isn't just talking about a light like, Hey guys, can you be nice? Hey guys, can you behave? This is when you realize that that's not what he's doing. This is a moment you you realize that the Apostle Paul is talking about eternity. He's talking about the coming of Jesus, the coming of what is perfect. And it's more than just 
about how to place, play nice as a believer and how to behave, how to behave as a believer. Verses 8 through 13, this is the moment you realize that this very well may be an end times passage. This very well may be something that is referring to eternity. And this is a promise of God's word. There will be a day when all the things we thought were permanent, all those things that we thought were sure investments and good uses of our time, those things will pass. They will be no more. All the knowledge you stored up, all the riches you accumulated, all the giftings you cultivated, all those things are going to pass away. There is a day when we'll realize that our whole life here on earth, the 80, 90, 100 years that we get to live here on this earth, in this mortal body, with this limited understanding, all these things are going to pass away and they will seem as distant It will be as far and as fuzzy of a memory as our childhood was. We'll shed off all these mortal clothes. We'll shed off all our limited understanding. We'll shed off all these former things and be given a glorified and eternal body. Right now, with all of our intellect, with all of our cumulative knowledge, with all of our resources and ingenuity and creativity, even with all those things, we are only seeing dimly as in a mirror. If we were to put all the sermons that we know about Jesus, all the books that have been written about him in all of history, if we were to put together all the praise songs that speak about him, all of these things cumulatively all throughout history, this is still just a dim glimpse as in a mirror. Right now, we only know in part. But when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes, when our resurrection and our glorification comes, we will give up our former ways. We will give up our childish ways. We will give up our partial sight. We will give up our partial knowledge. And we will see with perfection. We will know perfectly in the same way that we are fully known. We will know God. That is the promise of God's word. This is what's in store for you and I. This is what love is able to take us to. It's going to be a day when everything else fades away and only love for Jesus will remain. For those of us who, you know, as we are approaching this topic of end times, it just feels so overwhelming. Like, hey, can we talk about something lighter, like something a bit easier, a bit more practical? You know, when we approach a subject, often we we come to it with a bit of hesitation. Sometimes we come to it with fear. Like, are we going to make it through? This is the promise of God in 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. Love will not fail you and I. Love never fails. So this is my question for us today. What does this look like for you personally? How would you translate these verses and apply them to your life? Maybe it sounds like if I finally attain the, the dream job that I've been working towards, and if I make the kind of money I never imagined making, 
but have not love for Jesus, then all of this is for nothing. If I gain popularity and get invited to all the parties and become the envy of every person I know, but have not love for Jesus, then I've gained nothing. All these things are going to pass away. If I finally marry, you know, the dream guy and I buy my dream house and I start my dream family and have not love for Jesus, I am nothing at the end of the day. This is what it looks like for you and I to cling to these verses. What does this look like? First Corinthians 13. What does this look like for our church? You know, there's a lot of things that are happening at our church currently, right? We have all these like online things that are happening and then we're getting ready to relaunch a website and we are getting ready for a sewing season when we restart our house churches and we're probably going to have, you know, a membership class and we're hoping to have, you know, a retreat towards the end of the year. We're going to go through a building search. We're actually going through building search right now. And so we're hoping to land somewhere within the next month. All these things are happening to this church right now in this season. But 1 Corinthians 13 says this, if we find the perfect building and sanctuary space that is open and accessible and well-maintained and air-conditioned and affordable and all of that, but if we do not have love for Jesus, we as a community have gained nothing. If we design, you know, the world's most amazing and aesthetically pleasing, you know, website and logo and all these things, but we have not love for Christ, then we've gained nothing. All the time that was spent in that was a waste. If we get incredible, massive signups for our next sewing season for our house churches, all these people coming out of the woodwork and just wanting to learn about, you know, the Bible, we do all these things and yet we don't have love for Jesus, then we have gained nothing as a church. If we triple our children's ministry, if we double our giving, if we gain a reputation in the city as a comeback church and we host events and draw crowds, all of these things, if we send out 20 mission teams into the mission field, we experience signs and wonders. If we do all these things and have not love for Jesus, we are nothing. So church, what I'm trying to say is this is our non-negotiable. We might become any number of things. We might become a growing church. We might become a praying church. We might become a pioneering church, a Bible literate church, an evangelizing church, a welcoming church. All these things are necessary and they're good and they're pleasing to God. But one thing is above everything else. New Philadelphia church will be a church that loves Jesus. We'll be a church that loves God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. And it is to this end that the leadership of this church labors every day. To this end, our pastors pastor. To this end, our teachers teach. To this end, our worshipers worship. It is to this end to love God with everything that we have. For me as a pastor, it's very easy for me to say this, right? But I need to know for sure, for myself, That even ministry is not that first thing for me. As much as I love ministry, I wouldn't trade it for the world. As much as I love New Philly, I I wouldn't trade it for the world. If it ever comes to choosing between these things and my love for Jesus, I already have an answer for that. That is my non-negotiable. I don't care what an amazing pastor I become over the next few years. I don't care how successful New Philly becomes. If we lose love 
for Jesus, we have worked so hard for nothing. We have gone through challenges as a community for nothing. We've gone through trials and testing for nothing. The late nights, the difficult situations, the the hard conversations, the decisions that we have to mull over for days, the praying, the fasting, the sacrifices, all those things without love for Jesus, they are nothing. They amount to nothing. This is our non-negotiable. I want to close with this, you know, as I just close us in prayer. This is a quote that I shared yesterday. A quote that I shared yesterday with um, our Maranatha class. We as a community, we are embarking on a month where we're diving headfirst into this topic of the end times. We are ramping up for the fall, for the fall season, not the fall, the autumn. We are getting ready for challenge. We're getting ready for growth. We're getting ready for change. But underlying all this, everything we do must be driven and fueled by a love for Jesus. And when it comes to the topic of the end times, this is no different. Samuel Whitfield, in his book, Discipleship Starts with Beholding, he says this, The sad truth is the majority of the church does not miss Jesus. We are quite content for things to remain as they are as long as we can live relatively undisturbed lives. We say we believe in the return of Jesus, but we show little desire for it. Our doctrine may be correct, but our emotions betray us. And this age desperately needs the witness of a church who is a demonstration of longing and dissatisfaction in an age so satisfied with other things. If Jesus really is a deepest desire of our hearts, why are we so content with his absence? If we say, Jesus, you are the person that I want, at the end of the day, you're the one that I want, then we have to care about the end times because we care about Jesus. So I'm going to close us in prayer. Just a couple of prayer topics as we close out today. My first prayer topic is how does 1 Corinthians 13 have implications in my life? Are there things that I am prioritizing over a love for Jesus? Are there things that I'm holding to with such passion and zeal and desire that I am doing it at the cost of loving Jesus? It doesn't mean that these things are bad. They can be very good things. They can be God-ordained things in your life, but they cannot be first place. Are there things in your heart? Are there things in your mind? Things in your plans that are first and foremost instead of a love for Jesus? If that is the case, and many of us will identify with that, If that is the case, I want to give us just a couple of minutes just to pray softly. Just pray to yourself. Ask for the grace of God. Repent of any heart of idolatry, any heart of covetousness, 
any heart of lustfulness. Repent for those things. Lay them down at the feet of Jesus and ask for grace and mercy once again to love him with everything that we are. Let's pray together.